This is Brewers on Tap. into episode number 30 of Brewers on Tap, the official podcast of the Milwaukee Brewers. My name is Jeff Levering, your host of the podcast. You can get yourself involved each and every week by sending your comments and your questions via Twitter to the Brewers and using the hashtag Brewers on Tap. As I mentioned, this is podcast number 30, and I think it's appropriate since we'll talk with the new general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers, that's David Stearns, who is 30 years old and the youngest GM in the major leagues. That's a topic of discussion that we had a couple of days ago when he was named the general manager in a press conference at Miller Park. It was also a wild week full of injuries for the Brewers, and we'll talk with the head athletic trainer of the Milwaukee Brewers, that's Dan Wright, and we'll hear from Biloxi Shuckers outfielder Tyrone Taylor. The Shuckers saw an end to their historic season, and we'll hear from Tyrone Taylor about how the season has gone for him and what a magical run the Shuckers went on here towards the tail end of 2015. We've got a lot to get to here on the podcast, so first let's get this week in Brewers history. <laughs> And now, this week in Brewers history. We go back just a couple of years ago, 2011, September 24th. That's when the team won its 93rd game of the season, a 6-4 victory over the Florida Marlins at the time, establishing a new franchise record for wins in a single season. Brewers would finish up at 96-66, and establishing a new franchise record for wins as they captured their first National League Central Championship. The Brewers were a major league best 57-24 at Miller Park, also establishing a franchise record for home wins. And we go back to 2007 on September the 25th. With a pair of homers against the St. Louis Cardinals, Prince Fielder became the youngest player ever to hit 50 home runs in a season. At 23 years, 139 days old, he broke the record of Hall of Famer Willie Mays, who hit number 50 at the age of 24 and 137 days. So Prince Fielder just 363 days younger than Willie Mays when Prince Fielder hit his 50th home run of the season back on September 25th, 2007. As mentioned, it was a very busy week for the Brewers. Let's hear a couple of highlights before we get to our great interviews this week. Hayward leads away in a line drive caught by Jeanette. Up the ladder he goes. Pena deals and a ground ball, gloved at third base. Herrera, what a play, throw to first, how about it? On the ground, Herrera's got it, tough throw out there, throw to first is high. That was a nice play. Man, Herrera saving a bunch of hits. For a guy that doesn't get a lot of playing time, and that's a difficult thing to do. And that one's launched left field. This is way back. Goodbye, Jason Rogers. His third home run. In the center, hit hard. Santana got a long way to go, and oh, he makes a catch. Domingo Santana. What a play. 
Yeah, that's a beauty. Boy, he needed every bit of 6'5 to be able to haul that one in. Put the Brewers on the board first. And a high drive, right center field, way back. Goodbye! Domingo Santana with his sixth already for the Brewers. He's only been here a minute. Logan Schaefer leads off and a high fly ball right center field. And it is gone. A home run for Schaefer. His first home run of the season. Somewhat the plan in his last start, which was his first big league start. There's a ground ball. Segura lays out to his feet. Throw to first in time. That guy can get down the line, too. How about Gene Segura? Lind in the air, left field. That ball's hit well. Long run, and that ball's up and out of here. A home run for Adam Lind. Boy, what a quick strike that was as Lind goes opposite field. A two-run shot, home run number 20. And we are all tied at four. High fly ball, center field. Fowler plays shallow, and that one is over his head and out of the ballpark. Chris Davis Jeez. launching one out of here. It didn't look like it had enough, but it certainly does. It's the way he hits it. They just keep going. They just don't want to come down. I mean, Davis just continues his home run barrage. Chris Davis set a new career high with his 23rd home run of the season against the Chicago Cubs a couple of nights ago. Domingo Santana's been playing fantastic defense, not only in center field, but in right field now with Ryan Braun on the mend. Gene Segura's continued to play terrific defense. Jason Rogers launched a home run. Elian Herrera had a couple of great defensive plays at third base before he was injured against the Cincinnati Reds. Logan Schaefer hit his first home run since 2013. Scooter Jeanette with a nice sleeping catch, and Adam Lind hit his his 20th home run of the season against the Chicago Cubs this last Monday. As we talked about earlier in the podcast, it's been a real busy week in Milwaukee as the Brewers were the first to name their new general manager, and that's 30-year-old David Stearns. He was introduced to the media on Monday at Miller Park, and I had an opportunity to sit down with the newest member of the Brewers organization. Well, it's, uh, it's been quite a week here as uh, the Brewers named their new general manager, and that is David Stearns, and he joins us now on the podcast. And, uh, David, what a whirlwind it has been for you the last 48 hours. I mean, you're talking about being an AGM in Houston and now becoming, in two weeks' time, the general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. Has it sunk in yet that you're a GM? Well, it has been a whirlwind, and, and some good advice I've gotten from some guys who are in the seat right now is that it's going to continue to be a whirlwind for – uh, for a little while, but it's it's a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous privilege to uh, be able to help lead this organization, and um, it's been a wonderful first uh, 24 hours, and I'm looking forward to uh, to many, many more. Well, in this first couple of weeks before you actually find where your office is going to be here at Miller Park, uh, it's a it's a matter of acclimating yourself to the staff that you have here. Um, you know, how familiar are you with the Brewers organization, with the staff that you're going to inherit? That's exactly right. The, the first thing that um, that I'm going to consciously be doing is meeting with all the guys here who um, have helped put this team together really for the last decade. This has been 
uh, an organization that's had a tremendous amount of continuity. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of institutional knowledge um, that I need to uh, need to learn about, and I'm looking forward to that process. Baseball is a relatively uh, insular and small industry, and so you tend to get to know uh, everyone as you spend more time in the game. So I'm familiar with some of the people in the front office, some of them uh, I'll need to, to get to know a little bit better. Uh, but that's, that's an enjoyable part of this process to, uh, to meet the people who have been working here so far. As an assistant general manager, David, you have to know every single organization just in case acquisitions come along, trades come along. Um, how familiar are you with the Brewer system? Obviously, they made the trade with Houston, so you know you're inheriting four very talented players in this system. But how familiar are you with what the Brewers have? I'm familiar, and certainly I've become more familiar as this process has gone along, and I've spent more time researching the organization, and I'm confident that, uh, that it's an organization that's heading in the right direction. There's a, um, a, uh, a young uh, group of players at the major league level that, that's complementing um, some more established veterans and also a, a minor league system um, whose talent pipeline is, is beginning to emerge. And so that's a, uh, that, that's a good combination. Um, it's one I'm looking to, uh, to continue to build on, and, and, uh, and if we do that, we'll be in good shape. You mentioned in your press conference that you wouldn't be here in Milwaukee unless you felt this team could win a World Series. Uh, do you feel as we're in this reset and retooling process that it's not too far potentially? You know, it's never easy to say exactly what um, a time frame um, for, for any cycle is. Um, I'm a big believer that uh, you don't put limits or floors on any team, that each team is different. Um, and that Major League Baseball seasons uh, can have uh, strange ways of, of playing out. So we're going to take every individual decision um, as it comes. We're going to make the, the best choices for the organization as a whole, um, and then we'll move forward. And if we make enough right decisions, um, the organization is going to be in a good place at the end of it. Brewers general manager now is uh, David Stearns joining us now. And, uh, David, when you were going through this process, um, how daunting was it, the interview process and, and all of this? Had you been through anything like that before? It was certainly very comprehensive, and that, that actually gave me a great deal of confidence um, in, the, in the scope of the interview process that uh, Mark and the ownership group and, and his team um, – really wanted to make sure that they, they made the right decision for the organization right now. So um, it was in-depth. Um, they did a tremendous job learning about my background, learning about um, my strengths and, and weaknesses. And at the end of the day, I think we all felt confident that this was a, a great match. You mentioned analytics a lot. You know, you come from a Houston organization where it's plug a guy into a computer and see what pops out. How much of the old-school stats do you use along with analytics in judging a player's potential? So the key for um, any successful organization, whether it's Houston or the San Francisco Giants or the St. Louis Cardinals, um, is being able to accumulate and process quality information along a broad spectrum um, of baseball operations departments. So that's scouting information, that's player development information, and analytics is included in that. And um, that's going to be our goal here, um, to create uh, a system where we're getting the best information from across the industry um, and then developing a coherent process that allows us to, um, to make decisions. Now, you're not just a, a huge numbers guy. Obviously, you went to Harvard, but you played a little bit of baseball, too. Did you not play at Harvard a little bit? So I played uh, junior varsity at Harvard. I pitched for two years, um, and those two years gave me enough, uh, enough feedback on the field that uh, it, it became evident my career in baseball was going to involve uh, something off the field rather than pitching. A little bit more longevity on this side of things, right? Certainly. 
Um, was this always the goal once you stopped playing? Did you know that you wanted to be a general manager? What I knew was that I wanted to work in baseball and I wanted to be involved in the wins and losses aspect of, of the game, that um, I'm a competitive person by nature and uh, I wanted to be able to influence what was going on in the field. There are only 30 major league teams and there are only 30 major league general managers and um, sometimes that, that goal can um, can be unattainable. But to uh, to be able to get here with this organization, with this opportunity, is very special. You mentioned the, the number 30. That's how old you are, too. You know, you're the youngest general manager in the history of baseball uh, right now and the first one to be born in the 1980s. I mean, that has to be pretty neat to be the first. Well, yes, I, I think um, you look back at some of the other um, younger general managers, and there have been a number um, – over the last uh, over the last decade or so, who have had success, and I think what that um, perhaps has taught the industry is that uh, age isn't quite as important as um, the breadth of experience and the skill sets that, that an individual person can bring to the job. So, um, I think I, I'm able to bring a, a diverse set of skills to this position, and um, my goal is to apply them correctly and, and have some success here. It's going to be a fun run. David, thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes with us. And, and from everybody in the Brewers organization, welcome to the family. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Chairman and principal owner of the Milwaukee Brewers, Mark Atanasio, saying of David Stearns, it's not about the age. It's all about the qualifications and his experience that he has had in his time working in Major League Baseball. And David Stearns is the man to take the Brewers into the future. I also had an opportunity to sit down with David Stearns during our social media chat this last Tuesday, and that is available to watch on Brewers.com. We catch up with the crew this week, and earlier this season I chatted with Tyrone Taylor, the Biloxi Shuckers outfielder, in his first full season at the AA level. And he had a really good season, and even turned it on a little bit more in the postseason. So in this week's segment of Catching Up with the Crew, we talk with Tyrone Taylor of the Biloxi Shuckers. <laughs> Let's catch up with the crew. Down in Biloxi here, and we chat now with outfielder Tyrone Taylor. And uh, what a season it's been for the Shuckers. I mean, not only the wins and losses, but have you been able to catch your breath yet? Because you guys had that long road trip. Are you finally settled in? Uh, yeah, it was it was a long road trip, and it was uh, a grind. But we have a great group of guys out here, and uh, it really made it easy for us. What was it like not having a home for 55 days? Uh, It was... It actually wasn't that bad. Uh, like I said, we have a great group of guys. Uh, the Brewers system and uh, the people up top made it easy, tried to make it as easy as possible for us, and it was really simple. What's this team been like since August 1st in the trade deadline? Um, I mean, same, same as before. Uh, we welcomed in our new players, uh, Philly, Hayter, and uh, Hauser, and uh, it's just been fun. This team's been a blast all year to play with. Uh, we won the first half. And things are going great. It's pretty amazing to me that you guys have been able to sustain the amount of winning that you guys have had throughout the course of the year with all the things that have been going on off the field. It just seems like you guys, once you get into that clubhouse, it's just business as usual, right? Yeah, you just got to cancel out all the distractions and just go out there and play baseball like we've been doing for our whole lives. How about your season? What's been going right for you? Um, it's been a grind this year. Uh, a lot of things... Uh, haven't gone my way and I haven't uh, done like what I expected to from the beginning but uh, I'm just grinding it out and uh, I mean just being on this team has been a blast and uh, just uh, 
I don't know, just uh, being around these guys every day, it makes it makes baseball fun and reminds you of why you come out here and play. This is your first full season in Double A. Had a little taste of it last year in Huntsville. You know, what's the difference between High A and Double A? Uh, just the speed of the game. The pitchers uh, pitch to your weaknesses and they stick to it. You just gotta you gotta make adjustments quicker than usual. You're playing right field now. Since Brett Phillips got here, you're usually a center fielder. What's the adjustment like playing right? Uh, just a different angle of the field. Uh, it's actually pretty cool uh, seeing the field from a different. It's like a, <laughs> seeing it from a totally different view, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting used to it out there, and uh, it's just fun. Have you played any left? I played a couple games there, yeah. Yeah, but right field is easier for you. Yeah, until you get the lefties that hit laser beams straight over your head, then it gets a little <laughs> scary. But yeah, it's pretty simple. Well, what's the toughest ball to read when you're in right field for coming off the slice of a right-hander or the the hook from a lefty? The definitely the hook from a lefty. It just seems that i played my fair share of right field, but coming from center, it's just a totally different animal, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, center field, you, you're right in the middle, and it, I feel like it's easier to read the swings from there. But right field, I mean, I'm getting used to it. It's not too bad, so it's cool. Let's take you back to Southern California as we chat with outfielder Tyrone Taylor here. And uh, you're from Torrance, California, uh, Southern California, right off the beach. Uh, played football in high school. Uh, played a lot of it, and you had an opportunity maybe to play at the next level. What was the difference between playing baseball and playing football? Uh, football was just more fun for me. I really played just for the heck of it. Uh, I had great teammates. My senior, my senior class was awesome. We, I think we changed the program around a little bit, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. Just a lot of fun. That was it. Go out there and bust heads, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Our middle linebackers are pretty scary. <laughs> Wouldn't want to go up against them. you got to have those Oklahoma drills where you're the running back and you're carrying. you got to face those linebackers every day. Yeah, definitely went to the back of the line on that one. Didn't want to go up there. <laughs> Give me the second string, guys. I don't want our first, tre- <laughs> first team guys, right? Even our second stringers are pretty scary, too. So. Yeah. Baseball, it seems like it's uh, a little bit easier to go out there on a day-in and day-out basis rather than cracking skulls. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a it's a grind playing daily, but uh, you get used to it, and it's just a lot of fun out there. Uh, Tyrone, you went to a pretty historic program at Torrance High School. Jason Kendall went there. Does he ever come back and and talk with you guys? Or um, I think my freshman year he came back and talked to the varsity team, but I wasn't on varsity that year. But I never really got a chance to meet him. I met his brother. He's a really cool guy. But yeah, it's a great school and a rich has a rich baseball tradition and. Uh, I enjoyed my time there. How about baseball in Southern California in general? I mean, you're not, you don't have a lot of cupcakes that you play in your schedule day in and day out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a lot of good talent in Southern California, and it was a really fun time playing against everybody. Did you ever have any experience where it could have trained you to play in the minor leagues or in professional baseball? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think uh, every time you go on a baseball field, you could learn something new. So you just got to go out there uh, open-minded and take that mindset with you and um just get better every day it's been fun watching you this year and, and seeing your numbers go up and it's uh, been fun to watch you we hope to see you in milwaukee real soon thank you appreciate it tyrone had an up and down regular season but really turned it on in the playoffs hitting 346 going nine for 26 with three doubles and a couple of runs batted in and finished second on the club with six walks drawn in the playoffs We'll break it down this week on Brewers on Tap and chat with Dan Wright, the head athletic trainer. 
He has been a very busy guy here over the last couple of weeks with Jonathan Lucroy nursing his concussion, Jimmy Nelson being recently shut down because of the line drive that hit off of his head against the St. Louis Cardinals, and then the collision down the left field line between Gene Segura, Shane Peterson, and Elian Herrera over the weekend against the Cincinnati Reds, where Elian Herrera had to be carted off the field. Shane Peterson was back in the ball game the next day, and Gene Segura was starting that next day as well. But Elian Herrera is still dealing with a bone bruise. Needless to say, as I mentioned, Dan Ryan has been a very busy guy, and in this week's edition of Let's Break It Down, he talks about what it's like to be an athletic trainer with the Brewers. Let's break it down. It's time to break it down this week on Brewers on Tap when we chat with the head athletic trainer of the Milwaukee Brewers. That's Dan Wright. And, uh, Dan, it's been a, a really interesting probably 10 days here uh, with the Brewers players, uh, to say the absolute least. You know, just take me back last week where you know, the Cardinals and the Brewers were playing at Miller Park and you had the scary situation with Jimmy Nelson. And you know, What's the first thing that jumps into your mind when you see something like that happen out there on the field? Well, myself and, and any of my colleagues up, you know, in, in Major League Baseball, the first thing we're thinking is getting to the player and, and assessing, the, you know, the player's status. You know, take me through a little bit what it was like when he got out there and, you know, the fact that he's okay now, which is a good thing, um, you know, just a little bit about the process. Well, the first thing you want to do in a situation like that, you see the, the blunt trauma, uh, obviously a significant trauma. Um, player lays motionless. The first thing you want to do is assess their level of consciousness and responsiveness. Um, amazingly, despite the fact that it didn't look like he was moving, he was t- tremendously responsive and alert to everything that I was asking him. Um, his responses were actually quick and clean. Um, once we ascertained a certain level or uh, ruled out a certain level of uh, concussive uh, symptoms on the spot, he was able to demonstrate some neurological testing and moving of the, the cervical neck and uh, his upper extremities. Um, answered some other questions in regard to his, uh, you know, his awareness of, of the situation. Uh, was able to demonstrate that he remembered exactly what happened and you know, short and long-term recall right there on the field. And we were able to kind of proceed forward. And at that point, you know, my, my goal was to assess, again, his status and how we were going to remove him from the field. But uh, he was able to respond well and, and obviously walk off under his own power. What seemed wild to me was the fact that he got off the field and it seemed generally that he was upset that he had to come out. Uh, that was the hard part for me to, to see after how far that ball had ricocheted, first and foremost, but how hard that velocity was from the ball coming off the bat. Well, you know, to his credit, to a degree, Jimmy is, uh, is a competitor, and we, we love to have that in our players. We, we strive to have our players be competitive and, and have the drive to uh, do what it takes to stay in and win games. In this case, however, given the, the, the blunt trauma that occurred, uh, surprisingly Jimmy was, was you know, pleading his case in an attempt to stay in the game. Um, I made it quite clear that that was not an option that was on the table. Um, and he still wanted to you know, try to dissuade myself and, and I'm sure to a degree even Craig Council, but we, you know, we knew the right thing to do was to remove him from the field. You were mentioning concussions earlier as well, and Jonathan Lucroy most recently, uh, you know, getting getting his bell rung in Miami, and you know, he's progressing in a right path. But concussions are so dicey, aren't they? Everyone is different. There's not one concussion that's the same. You know, they really are tricky. It's a tricky injury to to navigate through. For the most part, every 
concussive event is going to be different. Every individual that it occurs with is uh, is going to respond to you know a concussive event event differently. Uh, and there's also different types of concussions where where it manifests itself in you know dependent upon the area of the brain that's affected. And Jonathan's again one of those ultra competitive guys. He wants to be out there, but the the fact that the Brewers are taking it slow with him to make sure that this isn't going to happen again and well you never know when concussions are going to happen but just preventing it from doing more damage future right correct you know and in, in, in jonathan's case you know he was he was fortunate enough it was a it was a it was a mild concussion that he sustained but at the same time you know as a catcher you're in a position where the you know we'll call it a concussive event not as a diagnosis but an yeah. impact if you will you know, the, the incidence of impact with the catcher is obviously much greater than it is with any of the other players on the field. And with, with Jonathan, we just want to make sure that we can balance the, the, the carefulness and cautiousness of getting him back appropriately um, and uh, make sure that by, the, by season end, our goal is essentially to get him to the point where he's ready to go and confident to uh, go into 2016. Chatting with our head athletic trainer, Dan Wright, here with the Brewers. And, uh, Dan, it's all it's a fascinating side of baseball. You know, you talk about guys that go out there on a day-in and day-out basis and, you know, throw a, a baseball overhand, which is not normally the, the protocol you're supposed to do. it. That's why softball players can throw 180 pitches. But, you know, how do you keep these guys healthy over the course of, you know, nine months out of the year because you get the spring training and then it goes all the way into the, the month of October. It's not an easy day at the office for you any day. No, I mean, you know, the the situation that happened the other night with Jimmy illustrates what our day is like. You know, we have, there's a number of things that we do to keep our players on the field. You know, our goal is always to keep our best players on the field doing what they do effectively. Um, but at any given time, you know, our day can go from 50 miles an hour to 150 miles an hour, and that was an illustration of that. Um, but it's really, you know, I'm blessed to have a great staff. Uh, we have a great philosophy working through, um, you know, injury prevention and uh, performance enhancement through our, through our system. And, uh, you know, it's just, our, it's, it's just our goal is to keep our best guys on the field and, and do what they do effectively. On the personal side, Dan, how did you get into this field? Did you always know that you wanted to do this? That was a long time ago. I mean, I, you know, this is this is Mark in my 30th year as an athletic trainer. Um, not all of that's been in baseball. It's, this is my 16th season in the major leagues. But, uh, you know, I, I was an athlete growing up like uh, most of my brethren and, you know, had, had an interest in athletics um, without the talent to get this far. Um, when I made a transfer to a university back, you know, back in the day and I was looking at uh, physical education and being a teacher and, and – this this opportunity came up in uh, you know just across my path and it really was intriguing to me and you know I could we could it would take a long time to go through the whole you know the whole story but you know history is what it is and it's uh, it's brought me to where I am today. Well, and you talk about the players that come all the way through the minor leagues. Did you have to do some minor league baseball stuff before you could get to the big leagues? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I spent I had uh, minor league positions in uh, the Kansas City Royals organization when I first started. Um, I was fortunate enough to actually get a, a position at the big league level with uh, Cincinnati as the assistant in the early 90s. Um, then there were some changes at, with, uh, with that organization, and, and I just uh, actually moved to Arizona with, uh, with an opportunity with the, uh, with the uh, San Francisco Giants as their head trainer for op- major league, or minor league operations, um, which is a, I enjoyed that opportunity. And then went into private sector and started a, a 
sports training clinic in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, and uh, missed the baseball. And, and the, you know, another opportunity came up, and it was with the Brewers, and here I am now. It's a it's a wild ride, and you know I've spent my number of years in the minor leagues, and you're not just a trainer in the minor leagues. You're the travel coordinator. You're sometimes dad. You're sometimes brother. You do everything in the minor leagues, not just taping ankles. It's, yeah, it's really true. You know, at the minor league level, you know, all the way through the minor league levels, you you have a number of hats that you wear, and you know I really think at the AAA levels the toughest because the the travel, they travel by plane. There's a lot of things to coordinate uh, that, that go along with that. Um, when I was in AAA, it was before the, you know, the, the tragic 9-11 event, and travel was different and was a little bit more lax then. Nowadays, it's, it's not. It's much more, uh, there's a lot of hurdles that guys have to go, you know, teams have to go through in order to make their travel happen. And between that and, you know, the, the equipment stuff, the, the clubhouse stuff, the, you know, Big Brother being, uh, you know, Dr. Phil and all the other things that go, go in with it. It is, it, is a, it, is a busy, it is a busy job, but, you know, we do it, we do it because we love it, what we do and, and the challenge uh, of keeping our, our players on the field. Opportunity to get up here to the major leagues as well. Dan, uh, the season is coming down to an end here. You've got a couple of weeks to go. Uh, what's the offseason look like for you? Oh, it looks golden right now. Um, right now, when I go home, I'll, I'll return to my home in uh, in Arizona and um, get to get to spend some time with my kids for, you know, the first month in, in October. It's a little bit light in terms of our job duty, but things start picking up in terms of our um, off-season player follow-up, you know, beginning in November. Um, you know, get into December, we have winter meetings, and it's from then on, quite frankly, it's a slippery slope getting in preparation for 2016. So when does spring training start for you? Oh, boy, I haven't looked that far ahead. I know that it's, uh, I think our reporting date is mid-February, the 16th, 17th, 18th-ish, somewhere around there. Okay. Uh, but, you know, at that point in time, we're already full full go in terms of the preparation for spring training. There's a lot of things we do, you know, mm-hmm. during the offseason to prepare uh, for that, for spring itself, and then also just following up with our players, uh, whether it's just simple follow-up or there's actually, you know, rehab, uh, surgery, rehab, and that type of thing. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things to do. From everybody with the Brewers, it's, it's a pleasure to watch you and your staff work, and you guys do a tremendous job. And I've been in four different organizations now, and there's nobody better. So, uh, Dan, really appreciate the time, and uh, keep it up. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Dan Wright's been doing this a long time. He's in his fourth season as the head athletic trainer. And that long and windy road to get to where he is, he has earned every bit of the accolades that he gets in being one of the top athletic trainers in the business. Checking in on the farm. We check in on the farm this week, and as always, we remind you about our blog, Minor Details, and you can see that at minordetails.mlblogs.com. First and foremost, before we get into the Biloxi Shuckers run that they just went on, Jorge Lopez was named the Brewers Organizational Pitcher of the Year. No surprise there. He had a tremendous season and even won the Southern League Pitcher of the Year Award. And his teammate Orlando Arcio was named the Brewers Player of the Year. He was simply sensational all season long and even carried that over into the playoffs. Well, he talked about the run and the historic season for the Biloxi Shuckers and what a season it was as they swept their way through the divisional round against the Pensacola Blue Wahoos in the playoffs, and that matched the Shuckers up with the Chattanooga Lookouts, the AA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins, a team in which the Shuckers went 4-4 four and four against in the regular season. In game number one, it was all Shuckers all the time behind Jorge Lopez, 
as he went seven masterful innings, allowing a run on four hits with six strikeouts. The offense was led by Orlando Arcia, who went two for three, including a two-run home run, and Yadiel Rivera, who went two for five with three runs batted in. Lopez is sets on the mound. Here's the pitch. Breaking ball. Grounded towards third. Picked up by Yadiel Rivera. Over to first and through seven innings. On 110 pitches is Jorge Lopez, another masterpiece. A right-hander, now the 1-0 pitch to Arcia. Swing a drive, deep towards left field. Allen's to the track at the wall. Is it goodbye? Another home run for Orlando Arcia in this postseason. And the Shunkers take a 3-1 lead here in the bottom of the third inning. How hot is this young man? Those calls courtesy of Chris Harris and the Biloxi Shuckers radio network. Game number two did not go as smoothly for the Shuckers as they would end up losing by a final score of 6-1 to one and were held to just four hits. Starter Adrian Hauser, who had thrown a Maddox the week before in the divisional round, going a complete game shutout in under 100 pitches with 10 strikeouts. Hauser a little bit different in this one. Four and two-thirds innings, allowing five earned runs on three hits with three walks and five strikeouts to give up a couple of home runs to Max Kepler, one of the top prospects in the Twins' system. Again, only four hits by Biloxi, two by Nick Shaw, the second baseman, and one each by Arcia and Yadiel Rivera. Those would be the final two games of the season for the Biloxi Shuckers at home as the series would move on to Chattanooga in game number three. Biloxi would send the Southern League's ERA winner, Tyler Wagner, to the mound, and he did not disappoint. 2-2 pitch on the way. Swing and a miss. Without on strikes goes DJ Hicks again for the eighth time in three games in this series. Another punch out for Tyler, his eighth of the ball game. Six and two-thirds innings, no runs, six hits, a walk, and eight strikeouts as he picked up the win. Jonathan Barrios with two and a third innings of scoreless baseball to pick up his second postseason save. Yadiel Rivera went three for four in the contest, and Tyrone Taylor, who we heard from earlier, was three for three, including a double in Biloxi's 2 nothing win over the Chattanooga Lookouts. There's some activity in the bullpen right now. Magnifico throwing the 2-1 pitch. Swung on. Ground ball towards short. Arcia over to first. It's the Biloxi Shuckers winner in game three of the Southern League Championship Series. Barrios saves it for Tyler. And the Shuckers win it 2-0 and take a 2-1 series lead in this best of five Southern League Championship Series. How about him? Biloxi Shuckers, one win away from a Southern League championship. So the Shuckers with an opportunity to win the series outright with a two games to one lead over Chattanooga. Played in game number four, and they held a 2-0 lead going into the bottom of the sixth inning. But the lookout scored four times against the combination of Josh Hader and Jacob Barnes. Hader, who had gone scoreless in the first five innings, giving up a couple of runs on five hits while striking out 10 in that contest, over 111 pitches, and just seemed like he ran out of gas late in that ball game. Yadiel Rivera led the offense, going three for five. Orlando Arcia had a run-scoring single, and Brett Phillips hitting a home run. Now the 1-1 pitch on the way to Orlando, swinging a grind back through the middle, sneak through ball, and he is through a base hit, rounding third base, coming around to score is Yadiel Rivera, and the Shuckers strike first, it's 1-0. 
The 0-2 pitch on the way from Hader to Walker. Fastball swing and a miss. He got him. Hader strikes out the side in the bottom of the first inning after a walk and a base hit. Three straight strikeouts for the 21-year-old from Millersville, Maryland. And we go to the second inning. Triggers hit two home runs in that first game at MGM Park on Wednesday. He and Arcia. 2-0 pitch on the way. It's hit high in the air. Deep charge right field. Walker looks up at the track. It is off that secondary wall. Kiss it goodbye. Home run for Brett Maverick Phillips. Here in the top of the fourth inning is given the Shuckers a two-run lead now. 2-0. So with the series tied to a piece of decisive, game number five happened on Monday night in Chattanooga. And the Biloxi Shuckers turned to right-hander Jorge Lopez, the Southern League's top pitcher, and he just did not have his A game going for him that night, giving up a couple of runs in the second, one more in the third, and he would go just three innings in that start, allowing three runs on five hits with a couple of strikeouts. Jorge Ortega, who won the ERA title for the Florida State League Brevard County Manatees, pitched in relief, giving up a run in three and two-thirds innings while striking out three. The Shuckers had just five hits in their 4 nothing loss against the Lookouts, and in their final game of this magical season, Michael Reed went two for four, Brett Phillips also two for four, and catcher Adam Weisenberger had the other hit. So Chattanooga takes the series 3-2. to two. They win their first Southern League championship in quite some time. Biloxi Shuckers' season came to a close. It was a wonderful year. They were playoff bound. They did such a great job. Orlando Arcia hit 400 in the playoffs. Yadiel Rivera, 389. When push came to shove, the Shuckers over their last three ball games went just 2-for-28 with runners in scoring position. Despite the loss, the Shuckers had a lot to be happy about. Once the game was over, Tyler Wagner, Adrian Hauser, Jorge Lopez, Jonathan Barrios, the reliever, Yadiel Rivera, the infielder, and Michael Reed were all summoned to Milwaukee for Rivera and Wagner. They were recalled, and for Hauser, Lopez, Reed, and Barrios, they had their contracts purchased. They are officially on the 40-man roster. They will be active for the Brewers over the final two weeks of the 2015 season. Congratulations to all six of those players, five of them getting their first taste of the major leagues as Tyler Wagner was up in the big leagues earlier this season, making a start on May 31st against the Diamondbacks. Here's what's on tap with the Brewers. Here's what's on tap for the Brewers as the crew continues their 10-game, 11-day road trip through St. Louis and San Diego before returning home October 2nd through the 4th to finish out the 2015 season against the Cubs. It's the final three games of the season at Miller Park, and on the final day of the year, Sunday the 4th, all fans will receive a retro knit cap just in time for the fall. More details of that final weekend series of the season on next week's podcast, but you can always visit Brewers.com for tickets and more information about the upcoming schedule. That's going to do it for our jam-packed episode number 30 of Brewers on Tap. Don't forget to tweet those questions to the Brewers by using the hashtag Brewers on Tap. Thanks to our terrific guests and maybe one of our most loaded episodes of the year, New general manager David Stearns, head athletic trainer Dan Wright, and Tyrone Taylor jumping in on the podcast here this week. My name is Jeff Levering. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of the Milwaukee Brewers. This is Brewers on Tap. Brewers on Tap.